0: You are listening to the Teaching Podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praycc.org. The Bible says our God is a consuming fire. And what God wants to consume are those things that would just keep us from experiencing the fullness, the richness of His love, His grace, and His mercy. So we just say, God, let that consuming fire just come and consume us and just burn away. All of those things that just keep us from the fullness of who you are, and I want to just apologize because it was not my intent to start a series uh, like I think we started this like five weeks ago, and it was not my intent to start it and then have like a three week break in that um, but when we started when I started the series, I really kind of did have it planned out that I would end it on Easter Sunday, um, and then we ended up having Pastor Henry came and preached, and uh, I just kind of felt like it got disrupted, so I kind of felt like the third part of what I'm going to talk about today, I didn't really feel like it fit all that well with Easter, so I thought, oh, I really, I can't do that, and so I kind of just uh, switched uh, directions a little bit on Easter, and so I was hoping to get back to it last Sunday, and if you were here, you kind of know what happened uh, last Sunday, so I want to pick up where we left off um, three weeks ago on our series, Freed to Be Freed. Now, let me just kind of quickly review, because I owe all of you that. I owe that to myself, you know, because I'm kind of thinking, okay, I need to kind of go back, and I had to actually kind of print off the last two and kind of go through and just reorient myself. Okay, what have we talked about? Where do we need to go um, in this third one? So if you're new or you've forgotten, let me just kind of give you a real quick overview of where we've been. We started off the series by making what I kind of deemed a rather obvious insight. And it is, it is impossible to solve a problem when you don't know what is wrong to begin with. Now again, as obvious as this may sound to all of us, every one of us have tried to do that from time to time, right? I mean, many of us have been trying to solve or fix ourselves or others for a long time to little or no avail. And again, the problem for many of us, and the reason we don't get very far in that, is, again, it's hard to fix a problem if you're not really sure what the problem is to begin with. And I believe the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the Books in the New Testament, I think he understood this insight as well. As a matter of fact, Paul kind of explained the problem this way in Romans 7, beginning with verse 15, and he said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Now, does that sound familiar? Yeah. Jumping down to verse 18, for I have the desire, the drive to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. To which we all say, amen. All of us, whether you're a Christian or not, can identify with this because we've all experienced what Paul's describing there. All of us have struggled and failed wanting to do the right thing but not doing it and not wanting to do the wrong thing but doing it anyway. This is the dilemma. This is the struggle as Paul describes it. And then in verse 20, Paul goes on and he identifies the root cause of the problem and he says, now if I do what I do not want to do It is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So Paul identifies the problem is it is the sin that dwells in us. Now again, remember, Paul understood and he described sin as a noun. Whereas most of us kind of tend to view or think of sin as a verb, as actions, as bad or wrong things that we do. That's not how Paul looked at it. Paul understood sin as a noun, a power, a force, an entity. So Paul would say the sin that lives in you, the sin that is dwelling in you, that is a power. It is a force. It is an entity that dwells within you and it tempts you and entices you to do those things you don't want to do and keeps you from doing the things you want to do. So sin is a power, it is a force. And oftentimes our response to sin is we want to try to stop doing the things we don't want to be doing rather than dealing with and overcoming the power, the force, the entity that is driving us to do the evil we don't want to do. Again, this is how Paul saw it. This is how Paul understood it, whether you agree with that or not. I'm just kind of giving you Paul's perspective Paul then goes on to explain that sin dwells in us. Now, how did that get there? Well, he said it got there because of one single act the first man, Adam, did in the Garden of Eden. So because Adam was the first person of creation, when he disobeyed, went against God's command, rebelled against God, there in the Garden of Eden, sin this power, this entity, this force, it entered into the human race. It entered into Adam. It dwelled inside of Adam. And therefore, it would also dwell inside of everyone else who kind of came from Adam. So, well, whatever, again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Whatever was true of Adam is true of everybody who is in him or comes from him. His history becomes our history. What is true of him becomes true of us. So when you and I, when we were born, okay, we were born into Adam, and because of what Adam did back there, even though we weren't there at the time that Adam did this, But because what is true of him is true of us, when we were born, we were also born into sin, just like Adam, every one of us. There's no man, woman, no one who's ever been born. All of us have been born into sin. Again, not because of anything we did, but because who we're related to. This is what Adam did, and by virtue of being in Adam, what's true of him is true of us. His history is our history. And so everybody born was born into sin. I probably should have put the smaller sin sign in there since I'm not going to be able to retrieve any of the people out of there when I need to for this. There it is. You yep. always have room for sin, right? <laughs> <laughs> so when Adam sinned there in the Garden of Eden, sin affected and it infected everyone who came from Adam, which includes you and me. Once sin entered the human race through Adam... Remember I said on its heels, what follows behind sin is death, guilt, shame, condemnation, just to name a few. We're right behind sin. When sin came in, those things were immediately on the heel of sin. Again, this is the diagnosis, this is the perspective, the viewpoint of Paul. Now Paul continues saying, by the same token, just as the one single act of unrighteousness by Adam brought forth sin and death, guilt, condemnation, shame upon all mankind, by the same token, the one single act of righteousness by Christ Jesus through his death upon the cross broke the power and the penalty of sin. So we, in Adam, we were born with sin dwelling in us. Again, not because of anything that we had done yet, but simply because who we were related to. And when we go from being in Adam to being in Christ Just as Adam's history was our history, what was true of Adam is true of us. When we go from being in Christ or in Adam to being in Christ, all of a sudden the same principles apply. What is true of Jesus is now true of us. His history now becomes our history. Okay? Are you following me? Again, not because of anything we have done, but simply because of who we are now in, who we are related to. So when we go from being in Adam to being in Christ, we go from having sin dwelling in us to righteousness now dwelling in us. That is the gift of right standing. When we talk about righteousness, that is the the gift, the right standing, being in right standing with God the Father. Because God the Father was pleased and sin was completely, I mean totally atoned for And dealt with through the work of Christ upon the cross. Because of Jesus' obedience, his sacrifice, God the Father was pleased with him. And now because we are in Christ, he is now pleased with us because what is true of him now becomes true of those who are in him once we are in christ god the father is pleased with us again not because of anything that we have done no works of righteousness on our part but because of who we are in who we are related to because as romans 5 15 states but the gift again that is our right standing with god but the gift is not like the trespass the gift is so much greater than the trespass So last time we were together, we looked at Romans 6, 6, and it says there, Paul says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. Okay? Even though we weren't there when Jesus was crucified, Paul says, you know what? Uh, When you are in him, his history becomes your history. So when Christ was crucified, when we come into Christ, he, he says, now you identify with his crucifixion. I don't need to go and have my own private, personal crucifixion. When I come into Christ, his history now becomes my history. What is true of him is now true of me. So when he was crucified, I was crucified with him because I am now in him. This is kind of Hebrew thinking I'm giving you here. This is kind of how they thought in biblical times. So he says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So Paul is saying that part of you that has been ruled by sin, okay, once you are in Christ, that, is no, that, that power has been broken, What you were once powerless against, you have now been given power through Christ's death, his resurrection. You now have the power to overcome what you didn't have the power to overcome here. That's what he's saying. You're no longer ruled. You're no longer under the power of sin, the force or the dictate of sin. Or another way of saying this is that we should no longer live as slaves or enslaved to sin. I should no longer say yes to sin because I'm not a slave to sin, because I'm no longer in Adam. I am now in Christ. And once you die to the old self by going from being in Adam to being in Christ, Paul says you are set free. That power of sin, it has been broken and you are now free. And Paul's saying when you are placed into Christ, everything about Christ's death is now true of you. Everything about Christ's death is now applied to you. When you died in Christ, when you were buried in Christ, you died to the slave master of sin. Then in Romans 6, 11, Paul says, in the same way, likewise, count yourselves dead to sin. He's comparing us again to Christ. As, as Christ now has died to sin, in the same way, consider, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then jumping over to verse 14 again, this is so powerful. And here's where we ended last time. For sin shall no longer be your master. I am dead to sin, alive to God. That's the difference. Sin is no longer your master. Sin no longer has power or dominion. Sin no longer reigns over you. It's not just a matter of temptation. It's not just a matter of addiction. It's not just another uh, uh, of having bad habits and doing wrong things. Paul says there is an entity, a power, a force Called sin, and the reason you can't do what you ought to do is because you have lived as a slave to sin. Sin has reigned over you, sin has dominated you. He says, Because you are a slave to sin in Adam, he said, You're completely powerless. Isn't that what it feels like at times? I mean, it's just powerless. I have no control over this. Why can't I stop this? Because you're powerless. Paul was saying, because you're a slave to sin, you're completely powerless to withstand or overcome all these temptations to do bad things. But he says if you've been taken out of Adam and you've been placed into Christ, it is no longer who you are. This is no longer true of you. When you go from being in Adam to being in Christ, he says that power of sin that reigned over you. He said it's been broken and you're no longer a slave to sin as you once were. And that brings us to where we are this morning. Today I want to just answer the question, so what and now what? So in Romans 6, Paul begins to tell us what to do with all this new theology and new way of thinking. So I want to give you three words that are going to serve as an outline for this text. Declare, decide, devote. How's that for 3D? (laughs) Declare, decide, and devote. So Paul is going to tell us that there's something we have got to do uh, to decide or that we need to declare. Okay, that's review. Then he's going to tell us there's something that we need to decide and then he's going to challenge us to devote something. Romans 6, verse 9, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Now again, once you die and are raised from the dead, once you um, die and have resurrection power in your body, as Christ did when he came out of the grave on Easter, you don't die again. You have come out of the grave, or you have that resurrection power, and that simply means death is no longer a possibility for you. It says, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery or power over him. The death that he died on the cross, okay, it says he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God so he died to sin one time for everybody okay so Paul says this when Christ died he didn't simply die a life Paul said it's so much bigger it's so much more to it than that he said when Christ died he died to the power of sin which enslaved and rendered mankind powerless The power of sin, again, which rendered us powerless when Jesus died and resurrected back to life. Sin, this power, this force, this entity, he said it was completely broken. And it has completely lost its power over us. So through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he was completely free from any of the encumbrances of sin. And Jesus lived a perfect life. Then he broke the final power of sin. He broke death. And again, remember, I mean, your life experience will validate this. Whenever there is sin in your life, just look behind you because right on the heels of that, you're going to find there is death, destruction, sin, guilt, shame, condemnation. It always follows behind sin. So right on the heels of sin, there's always death. So now, having given us kind of this big, theological, somewhat confusing confusing bunch of verses, Paul kind of turns the corner and he says, now here's what you have to do with this. Paul says, "Here's what we need to begin to do with this. If you've understood what I'm saying, Paul says, "Here's where you need to go from this point forward." Paul says this in Romans 6:11. He says, "In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus." Now, the word count," it was actually an accounting term. It's kind of a mathematical term in the Greek, and it really means to consider, to accept believe, or kind of factor in. So we're gonna use the word declare. So here's what Paul's telling us. He said, as you move ahead, as you begin to embrace this new kind of teaching, this new way of living, as you begin to try to understand the significance of what happened to you when Christ died for your sin and you accepted his payment as payment for your sin, Paul said the first thing you gotta do is you gotta believe this. You just gotta believe this with your whole heart. Even if you don't fully understand it, you just need to believe what Jesus did completely covers my sin. It completely takes care of my debt before God. You gotta accept this. And and the problem is, if you don't, you're gonna spend your life trying to figure out a way to pay a debt that's already been paid. So the word we're going to use is declare. The thing that you need to begin to declare is sin, you are no longer my master. Sin, you no longer reign over me. Sin, you no longer have any power over me. Because God said that sin is not my master, and in Christ the power of sin has been broken. And again, regardless of how you've lived in the past and regardless of whether or not you've ever experienced this, The first step in applying, I mean, actually walking out these powerful, powerful truths is you've got to believe this, that this is true of you. So we're going to use the word declare. We declare sin is no longer my master. If I have been taken out of Adam and I have been put into Christ, Christ defeated the power of sin. What is true of me uh, true of him is now true of me. Sin, you are no longer my master. See, what's going to happen, I'll guarantee you this, I mean, take this to the bank. Before you leave this room, when you get in your car and someone cuts you off in traffic or your spouse says something you don't like or you get on the computer, whatever you're going to be doing today, all of a sudden that thing, that power, that force, that entity that once controlled you for so long, it's going to rise up. It may be in the form of lust, it may be jealousy, it may be anger, greed, whatever. And you're going to be tempted to act on that. And right before you act on that, you now, because you are in Christ, you have the power to now declare, sin, you're no longer my master. You no longer reign over me. You did here. I was powerless here. But I have power now because Christ is defeated and he has broken the power, the penalty of sin. This isn't simply temptation. This again, it is that power, that force, that entity again that keeps you from doing. What you want to do, it causes us to do the evil we don't want to do. Now from my new position in Christ, we now have the power to declare sin. You are no longer my master. Then Paul goes on to say, since sin is not your master and since you're going to begin to consider yourself or believe or you're going to count or reckon yourself dead to sin, Paul says in Romans six twelve. therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Okay, so Paul's not writing to pagans here. Paul's not writing to unbelievers here. Paul's writing to believers in Rome. These are, these are Christians in Rome that Paul's writing to. And Paul's saying to them, you do realize that when you allow sin to reign in your body, when you say yes to sin, you're letting sin reign. He said, if you are now in Christ, he said, sin no longer dominates. It no longer reigns over you. Sin now only reigns over you. It only has the power to control you when you let it. Didn't have a choice here. You had no power here. You have a choice. You have power here now. The only time sin can reign and control and dominate you is when you let it, if you're in Christ. And Paul says, so don't don't let it. Don't let it, don't let that power, that force, that entity, don't let it reign in your mortal body so that you obey. There it is again. Here you didn't have a choice to obey. Here now you have a choice of whether you're going to obey sin or whether you're going to obey Christ. So to move the discussion forward, I want to ask you a question. When you wrestle with sin or temptation, which side of the argument do you identify with? Stop thinking about that for a moment. When you struggle with sin or temptation, which side of the equation or which side of the argument do you identify with? Because there's this argument, there's this battle. All of us are very familiar with this. We know how it goes. I shouldn't do this, but I want to. I know I shouldn't say this, but I want to say it. I shouldn't buy this. I shouldn't go over there. I shouldn't be putting this into my body. I shouldn't turn on the television. I'm alone. I shouldn't get on the computer. I have enough credit card debt as it is. I don't need another pair of shoes. We're all familiar with that argument, that battle with sin and temptation. In other words, as a believer, okay, Paul's talking to believers there in Romans. I'm talking to believers, Okay. In other words, as a believer, when you wrestle with temptation or sin, do you wrestle with it from the standpoint of being in Adam or of being in Christ? Now let me tell you what this sounds like, what this battle, this argument, this, this tension, I want, you, I want you to hear what it sounds like if you're wrestling with sin and temptation from the standpoint of being in Adam. Here's what it sounds like. Well, nobody's perfect. I'm not Jesus. Everybody else does it. I've always been susceptible to this. This is kind of my, my weakness. It won't hurt anybody. I'm not, I'm not hurting anybody by what I'm doing. My mom had this issue. Her mom had this issue. I can't help it. All men are alike. This is just natural. This is just normal. This is just what I do. As a believer... When you wrestle with sin and temptation from this perspective, you are basically arguing from the standpoint of being in Adam. Do you understand? This is who you used to be. This is what you sounded like when you were in Adam. This is how you wrestled with sin and temptation. When you wrestle, now get this, When you wrestle with sin and temptation from the standpoint of being an Adam, you will lose this struggle against sin and temptation every single time because you've identified with someone you no longer are. Does that make sense? Now I'll tell you what, it becomes a completely different struggle. When you struggle from the standpoint of identifying with who you are now, That you've gone from being in Adam to now being in Christ. Because once you're in Christ, the struggle with sin and temptation, let me tell you what that sounds like. I now recognize, I know what's going on here now. I didn't before, but I do now. That's sin trying to dominate me. That is sin trying to rule me. That is sin trying to conquer me. That is sin still thinking it has power over me. That is sin trying to lure and entice me back under its control. That is sin trying to rule my life. And because I am now in Christ, sin you are no longer my master. Sin you no longer rule over me and every time you encounter sin and temptation from the standpoint of being who you are in Christ now you will stand victorious as a believer when you struggle and and folks all of us do in this place if anybody tells you this morning they do not struggle with sin and temptation they are a liar get away from them they're not doing you any favors Okay, as a believer, when you struggle with sin and temptation, when you find yourself in that raging battle, oh, there that is again, here it comes, in that moment, as that battle is going on, whether you recognize it or not, in that moment, you choose which side of this equation you're gonna identify with. And the side of that equation that you identify with will have everything to do with the outcome. As long as, and, and hear me on this, as long as you identify with I'm a sinner, I can't help it, I'm powerless, Nobody's perfect. This is the way men are. This is the way women are. This is the way my husband is. This is the way my father was. What do you expect? Look how old I am. I was brought up in this kind of a home. That's just part of our family history. As long as you identify with who you used to be, you will continue to behave the way you have always behaved. So Paul goes on in verse 12 and he says therefore okay, he's connecting that word therefore he's connecting what he's about to say with everything he's just said he said therefore do not let because you have a choice now because you are now in Christ you can say no because when he died you died When he died to the power of sin, now that you are in him, you are dead to the power of sin. What's true of him is true of you. His history has now become your history. Because of what Jesus did, you now have the power, the choice to say no to sin. Because the power of sin has been broken. Jesus has rendered sin powerless over you. You're in a new family Folks, sin can knock, it can bang on the door, it can ring the doorbell, text you, email, it can send you a friend request on Facebook. You now have the potential and the power because you are in Christ to declare sin, you are no longer my master. And I am going to decide here and now not to let sin rule and influence my life anymore. So the second word is decide. We can now decide not to let sin rule or dominate or control our lives. So what do we do? We declare, sin, you are no longer my master. And since sin is not my master, I have decided not to let sin rule me anymore. I have had enough death, enough guilt, enough shame, enough condemnation in my life. Then Paul goes on in verse 13, and he says this, do not offer any part. Now Paul's talking here about body parts, and this is nothing new. There are other places in scripture where he talks about the members of your physical body, the members of your mortal body. So he says, do not offer any part. Again, he's talking about legs, hands, eyes, minds, ears, our mouth, every part of our being. Paul says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Going, what he's saying here, for those of you that have been taken from being in Adam to being in Christ, you've gone from death to life. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Man, get a vision for that of your life. Can this happens all the time. You know, you're going to be walking down the street. You're going to be walking in the mall someday. And you're going to see someone. And you know what sin's going to say to you? Sin's gonna say, hey, can I borrow your eyes? I I just want to take a good, long look. She is so good looking. He is so hot. I I just want to borrow your eyes, and I just want to take a good, long look. I just want to borrow your mind, sin says to you. I just want to borrow your mind to fantasize. I just want to borrow your mouth to gossip. I just want to borrow your hands to take what doesn't belong to you. I just want to borrow your ears so you can listen to this inappropriate appropriate joke and our response is sure sin you can have my eyes to lust sure sin take my mouth and use it to slander sure sin use my feet and take me where i don't belong sure sin use my mind to kind of think inappropriate thoughts and here's what paul's saying that is so powerful he's saying do not allow do not allow do not loan any member of your physical body to it that entity, that power, that force called sin, anymore. That means when you're walking down the street, you say, no sin, you cannot have my eyes. No sin, you can't have my mouth. No sin, you can't have my hands. No sin, we're not going over there. You can't have my feet. No sin, you can't have my mind. You really can't have my mouth because sin is no longer my master and I'm not gonna let you rule and dominate my life. I am not going to give you my mouth, my hands, my feet, my arms, any member of my physical body because I am free from your power. I'm not going to let you bring more death, more guilt, more destruction, more shame into my life. Paul says, instead of offering the members of your physical body to sin, he says, why don't you just offer them to God? When you were an unbeliever in Adam, you really had almost no choice. But to offer the members of your body to sin because sin was in you and you were born to sin. You were powerless against it. But when you've gone from being in Adam to being in Christ, you now have the privilege. I don't care what your mother was like, I don't care what your father was like. It doesn't matter the history or the past and all that stuff of your family. You now have the privilege, the joy to live the kind of life where you actually offer and surrender the members of your physical body. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and everything in between. You now have the opportunity, the privilege to offer the members of your physical body to your heavenly father. And Paul ends verse 13 there and he says, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So we come to our third word, the word "devote." Devote every member, devote every part of your body to God as an instrument of righteousness, as an instrument to honor God, as an instrument to do godly things. And I know for a lot of us, this sounds a lot harder. This is a lot harder than it sounds. For many of us, this is often where the battle is the toughest. So here's what I would suggest. I'm going to close with this. And then we're going to pick up next week. Don't miss next week. Because we're, we're going to get into this whole battle that, that Paul begins to describe. The battle between law and grace. So many Christians are just bound up in the law. And we're going to get into that next week as, as we end this series. So here's what I would suggest. Start every day just by declaring, the minute you wake up, just kind of let this come to your thoughts. Sin, you are no longer my master. Sin, you have no power over me today. Sin, you will not reign over me in any way, shape, form, or matter today. I'm going to decide not to allow sin to rule over me. And today, Heavenly Father, I choose to devote every member of my body to you as an instrument of righteousness. Since I am dead to self, dead to sin, and alive to God, come. Holy Spirit, and live in and through me. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Invite the worship team back up. What we're going to do this morning is I, uh, we have communion up here this morning. And again, the, the beauty of communion is when Jesus went to the cross, he offered it all. He laid down everything everything at the cross for you and me. And so this morning, as we kind of come to share in communion, the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood, again, we're recognizing he held nothing back. Jesus offered himself completely, totally to the Father. Jesus offered himself as, again, an instrument of God's righteousness. Every time we do this, he says, you do it in remembrance of me. I'm remembering today that he gave it all. He offered every part of himself to God as an instrument of God's righteousness. So you know what? This morning, as you come and you take that bread and you dip that in the juice, What I want you to say this morning is, God, I want to surrender, I give, I devote every part of my body, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet and everything in between. God, today I devote this to you as an instrument of your righteousness, just like Jesus did. So I now want to do I'm going to identify with what he did as I take this bread and dip it in the juice. I am identifying with what he did. And God, this is now my declaration. This is my devotion to you, God, as I take this. I am offering to you what Jesus offered to you. Every part of my being, every member, every part of my physical body, I offer to you this morning, right now, God. I offer to you as an instrument of righteousness. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.